take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! There's a snap, gets by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it, it is loose, and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four-yard line. A turnover, and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsey. He's gone. Lindsey's gone. Colorado gets the big hit. Wow, how about that answer? 70. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Like always, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Again, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting. When you are hiring key management, sales, or administration for your small or medium-sized business, give Gorman Recruiting your call. Allow them to remove the stress of the hiring process. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. Tyler, with the Colorado Buffaloes, they go out to Corvallis and, and really avoid disaster. What I thought was interesting was reading social media, reading our message board, the tone was almost like they'd lost the game, which I understand. This is a, a team you should go out and, and blow out on the road even. But then you go down to the locker room, and everyone's relieved. There's smiles, which we hadn't seen in a few weeks, and they were taking the, the glass half-full approach. You kind of pride yourself on being a guy that kind of Sways in some somewhere in the middle there. What was your your immediate reaction after the game? Well, I understand both sides of the argument, right? For for a team that's actually in the fire, it doesn't really matter how much you win by, right? Like perspective is a lot more important to the fan base, of course. At the end of the day, you want a road game, so for the team, they accomplished what they needed to for the day. Now, maybe everything didn't go perfectly, but at the end of the day, there's a one in the win column, and there wasn't last week. So for them, I understand it. Plus, you get it. You know, sometimes winning is contagious. All you know, sometimes you just have to do it, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're capable of doing it. And if you aren't winning, people tend to find ways to lose games. That's what we saw for this CU team for the previous seven or eight years prior to last year. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's big for them, but I understand from the fan base, it's it was an ugly game. They probably didn't deserve to win. They got outplayed in pretty much every facet of the game. They couldn't stop their run again. Uh, Montez was pretty terrible for two and a half, three quarters, honestly. But at the end of the day, he showed up when it mattered. And we kind of told you all along, he's going to have some throws that make you scratch your head. He's going to make some plays that make you go, wow, there aren't too many guys who can do that. And he did that multiple times on both ends of the spectrum in this game. Um, Spiked some throws that were wide open even when he had his feet set. But I thought he ran the ball really well again. Um, made some throws when it counted down the stretch. Finally got Bryce Bobo involved. It's the first legit game from a wide receiver we've seen in a while. And I thought Montez did a nice job of going to the hot hand, uh, something that I wanted to see. I've been talking about that for the past three or four weeks. we got to find a guy who you can rely on in crunch time. And he felt confident with Bobo in this game and kept going to him. And that was a big part of the reason we won. How much do you think the negativity within the CU fan base right now has to do with the fact that going all the way back to non-conference play, 
that they didn't put that four quarters game together on both sides of the ball to just kind of give that fan base that feeling just for one Saturday to see everything go right. Do you think that's kind of spilled over into conference conference play? Definitely. I mean, they haven't played a complete game or anywhere close to it. I think it's frustrating when you don't know what's going to go wrong every week for this team. Now, obviously, the run defense has started to become a consistent issue. Uh, we'll see if they can figure that out. The offensive line seems to have slowly worked its way back into some respectability. I mean, they haven't been great by any means, but not as bad as they've been the past few weeks. Montez seems to have really dialed it. I think he's almost to 100 consecutive passes in a row now without an, uh, an interception. That's a huge number for him, a guy who does definitely tend to take some chances. So that's a really good sign. He's just got to be a little more consistent with his misses. Um, you know, it's almost a good thing because some of his misses are so bad they can't be caught by anyone. Obviously, you'd like him to hit wide open guys, but uh, I mean, anytime you can go 100 passes in a row without throwing it to the other team, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, the team they're going to play this week, their quarterback threw five of those interceptions in one game. Right, yeah, you wouldn't expect that from Luke Falk for sure, but that's a good way to lose. I mean, you go, you go to Cal, you lose 37 to 3, seven turnovers is definitely a good way to do it. So we're going to stick with the glass half full or glass half empty theme here, Tyler. And mm -hmm. I've got a, a number of topics here. We're going to weigh both sides. You tell me what side of that you lean more towards. And you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but we're going to, we're going to go through, through this one by one. CU tightened up and made plays when it needed to. That's the glass half full from the Oregon State game. The glass half empty would be Oregon State outplayed CU and the Buffs had no business winning last Saturday's game. Oregon State outgained CU 569 to 385. Which of that, which of those glasses would you say you're, you're more towards? Well, this just kind of goes along with my constant theme about football is it only matters in a few certain ways, red zone being one of them. This is why. Um, you can give up as many yards as you want in the middle of the field. Can you prevent teams from scoring touchdowns? That's how you win football games more often than not. And CU's been able to do that, not just in, the game, in this game, but for most of the year. Their red zone defense has been fairly solid. They've given up points on a lot of those red zone drives, 80%, which is somewhere in the 50s, I think, nationally. But a lot of them have been field goals. I was actually looking for this stat, and no one holds it. I want to know how many points do you give up per possession in the red zone. That's a stat that I would like to see. And Colorado would be really solid in that category because they give up a ton of field goals. It wasn't just in Oregon State. You have to have a good red zone defense in order to win games. So for me, that those are the type of plays you need to make consistently to win close games. So for me, that, that would be a glass half full. Okay, next one. The glass half full is any road win in conference play should be celebrated. The glass half empty view is narrow victory against a bad Oregon State team should never be celebrated. Uh, I mean, road wins are always big. Um, now you would have liked to have seen it been better, so I guess... I definitely see both sides of the argument here simply because if we lose this game, the season's over and we're probably going winless in conference play. I truly believe that's how the season would have played out if we weren't able to find a way to get this game. So you kind of have to take the glass half full approach here because you avoided that disastrous scenario. Okay. And it should be pointed out that Colorado was the only team in the Pac-12 that actually won on the road last right. weekend. I mean, the opponent helps there. But, right. but yeah, right. I mean, exactly. It, it does highlight the point that it's rare. You know, you have to take those opportunities when they come to you. And, and looking at Oregon State's performance, I guess the glass half full view there would be that the Beavers, uh, Beavers played loose. They looked like they had nothing to lose. On the other side, you could say CU made Oregon State look better than they are. Which side of that are you on? I'm on both sides, but I will say I love their coach. 
how you have to love, yeah, yeah, you have to love playing for a guy with that much passion on the sidelines. He was having fun, really enjoying the game. It looked like from the TV, and uh, so I, I'm rooting for them the rest of the way. I think he was awesome, and he deserves more of an opportunity there. And uh, you know, it, they definitely gave everything they had in that game and played pretty well. Uh, the quarterback play was a lot better, outside of the one Drew Lewis uh, forced interception. It was a pretty clean game overall. Uh, Ryan Nall's obviously a beast, and if you let him get going, he's going to crush you in the second half. But, uh, I mean, I think that one's a tie for me more than anything. Okay. You mentioned Ryan Nall. It goes into this, leads into this next one here. Glass half full. Ryan Nall and Khalil Tate are super talented. Glass half empty. CU's run defense just flat out stinks. CU's run defense stinks for sure. I mean, both of those guys are really good. That's not a lie. But you have to have some sort of resistance. You can't allow teams to be on second and two when they're running the ball on first down every single time. That's a good way to lose football games. Um, They're two completely different types of runners. And if you struggle with both, that says a lot about your run defense to me. Um, They don't have enough big bodies. It's really that simple. You're running a 3-4 with a bunch of small guys. You're going to get run over. Now, you did see a a fourth guy with his hand in the ground a little bit in that game. It seems like they're kind of understanding – their deficiencies there. Uh, yeah. We'll see if that continues going forward. The last one, this is a little crazy at the end here, but I've it was a five-page thread on our message board, so I guess it's worth bringing up. Glass half full, McIntyre still one of the best co- coaches in the conference. Glass half empty, he should be fired. Well, he definitely shouldn't be fired. That's a joke. I don't know if I would say he's necessarily one of the best coaches in the conference either, especially on game day. I would put him more in the middle of the road. I will say... Uh, he does a lot more with talent than a lot of guys in the conference do and does a good job of finding guys that are under the radar and recruiting much better than most of the other guys in the Pac-12 as well. Game day adjustments could use some work. Um, I don't really love his demeanor when things aren't going great sometimes as well, you know, just to be, you know, critical in, in all the right ways like that. There are a lot of things I love about McIntyre and he's brought us to places that nobody expected us to in a small amount of time. Um, but everybody has deficiencies, and he does as well. So, I mean, he saying he should be fired is dumb. Like, you're not a smart person if you're saying that, and you actually mean it. But he's not one of the top three or four guys in the, in the Pac-12 for me either. At his Tuesday press conference, Mike McIntyre mentioned the fact that he's hands-on with every phase of the game. Uh, he said, I'm not a dictator, and I, I like to be a sounding board so that um, when things go wrong, it, it's not a finger-pointing thing within the staff. Um, and I had a couple people tweet me that, well, that's just an indictment on him that they're struggling and he's has his hands on every phase. And I kind of went back and forth with a couple people. One of them said that he was just a one year fluke last year. And it's, it's comments like that, that like just don't make any sense to me, especially when you look back, San Jose state was a burning pile of garbage when he took over APR sanctions. They're a 10 win team. In his third year there, he comes to Boulder, and I mean, we can agree, Boulder wasn't much better than a, a they burning were, pile of garbage. They were multiple burning piles of garbage when he got here. So, my point here is Mike McIntyre is a good coach. He's proven that. You, you can't, it's not a fluke that it's happened at two of the worst programs in the country. Yeah. Now, what I think you can debate is, okay, so Mike McIntyre has built a really good foundation within this program. There's a few holes here and there, defensive line recruiting being one of them. The debate is, can he take them to the next level now? Right. And that's a fair debate. Why, why do 
certain people have to go right to the, we need to fire him without seeing, can he do that? Right. I agree. I was actually going to make the exact same point. He's proven multiple times that he can take a program back to respectability from the total dregs of, you know, sewer dragging and rats and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's done that multiple times. And it's crazy what expectations do to a football program. I mean, we're sitting in week seven, and he's already he, – this is the second most wins he's had at Colorado tied already this part this point in the year. People probably don't really remember that. Like we, He hadn't gotten to five wins before last year. So building it up, every, you get much more of a leeway, right, because there's a lot to do. And now the expectations are different, and the season's collapsing, even though there's five weeks left to play. Um, you know – To me, it all comes down to experience. There's not as many experienced players on this football team. And even Isaiah Oliver, who's our best defender, has not played a ton of snaps in college. So people just kind of forget about that. Like Steven Montez is being compared to what Sefo Lufau did as a senior. He's not a senior. He started, what, nine football games now, ten, something like that. Uh, So it's tough to expect these guys to be playing like seniors when they're sophomores. Or juniors, or you know, guys who are here that haven't played at the D one level before. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's always overreactions to everything, obviously. And I'm not 100 percent sure he is the guy that's going to carry us to nine wins every single year. But what he is is a hell of a lot better than anything we've had. I guess my point is he's at least he is at least done enough to deserve that chance over the course of the next two three years to. Prove he can be that guy, and if he can't, then you do what you got to do. Right. Uh, I think the positive there is at least what we've seen from Mike McIntyre through five years is that even if they don't quite reach the heights that they did last year again, it's not going to go back to a pile of garbage, right? He's at least has enough of an infrastructure, and he's down to the details enough to where this thing is not going to get back to where it was before he got here. Yeah, I mean, there's. If he was to leave at the end of the year or in the next few years, there's talent in the pipeline in most positions. Uh, and that was not the case when he got here. There's Whoever comes in to replace him, if that happens, will have some pieces to work with, which is really all you can ask for in a coach, in my opinion. I mean, even if things don't work out, there's pieces for this team to be bowl eligible more years than not moving forward. So CU is now 4-3. and three. What, what do you look at? What do you think their bowl chances are at this point, if you had to put a percentage on it? Uh, I mean, probably 45%, which okay. is frustrating. But, I mean, I think we've had some teams in the Pac-12 that have outperformed expectations on our schedule right now. I mean, like we, it seemed like we were happy to be missing Oregon this year because we thought they'd bounce back. Now it looks like they might be a team we wish we were playing down the stretch now. Um, obviously, Arizona has gone from a team that was expected to be a bottom three in the league to they could potentially win the Pac-12 South. Honestly, at this point, got them at a bad time. Um, Washington State, obviously, despite the game last week, is before that they were a top ten team in the country, so a little bit better than people expected. I think Arizona State has been better than people expected. I think um, you know, so we have some games down the stretch that are going to be maybe a little bit tougher than we had anticipated. Cal is obviously quite a bit better than people were expecting. And then even Utah at the end of the year, I think, has been slightly better than most expected. So it's going to be tough. I mean, they have some tough games. They have to get that Cal game at home or it's basically zero in my opinion. Um, if they get to that fifth win, there's three games left, all winnable. 
but I would say they probably won't be favored in any of them. Uh, so they're going to have to find a way to get one more against Vegas. I'm going a little bit more optimistic. I just from the some of the signs of life we've seen from the offense, and uh, again the defense has struggled mightily, but. I'm going to say 55% at this point. I saw somewhere just the other day they're projected for the Cactus Bowl, which I would be on board with. Yeah, definitely. The one positive of them being on the low end if they do get in the bowl is that they're out of the running for the Sun Bowl. Yes. I'm cool with that. That's the one positive. Yeah, I won't be taking No offense to Steven Montez. That would be a cool story to write, but... Yeah, I'm good. So, Drew Lewis says the defensive struggles the last few weeks are a result of 10 of the 11 guys on defense doing their job on a given play. That's very similar to what we heard from Jeremy Irwin about the offense through the first five games. Coach speak. But, it, but it's true, right? It's coach speak, but it's true. With the offense, I believe it to be true. With the defense, they don't have the personnel to stop. Okay. I really believe that. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't have 260-pound guys manning your defensive line. That's that's not 10 of 11 guys doing their play. It's three against five much bigger humans. The math isn't there. That's honestly what I think the issue is there right okay. now. What were your thoughts on Steven Montez ranking number nine on pro football focuses quarterback rankings through seven weeks? It doesn't really surprise me because he's not turning the ball over and he's running the ball extremely well. So efficiency-wise, metrics are going to like that. Um They've gotten better in the last few weeks. You know, do I think he's the ninth best quarterback in the country? No, I don't. But he does a lot of things really well. Um, and if he starts hitting on some of these deep balls, his his stats are going to dramatically improve quickly. So I mean, it's one of those things where it doesn't look quite as much at stats, right? It's are you making the right decisions? Are you running the right plays? And, you know, if he connects on a few of these – that first play, was it the first play in the Oregon State game where uh, Shea dropped the pass that was a little bit in front of him? There was just green grass right in front of him the whole way. Uh, again, that goes – I thought Blinger called a really good game out in, or, out in Oregon State. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the offense, yeah, has been a little more dynamic of late. You know, missed on some bigger plays, but they're running some stuff that's a little more interesting, which I've liked. Uh, Montez definitely seems to be getting more comfortable – and Bryce Bobo stepped up last week. I'd like to see that continue. So we'll see. Yeah. And Bryce Bobo, now he's two for two passing in his career, and both have gone for a touchdown. Uh, I haven't looked it up, but his quarterback rating, uh, passer rating has to be pretty impressive at this I point. It's perfect, right? <laughs> it's hard to get more perfect than touchdowns on all your throws. <laughs> well, some of it goes into the yardage, too. And oh, I think yeah. last year, USC game, that was, what, like a 70-yarder to, yeah. to, to Lindsey. That was a uh, – Difficult touch throw, but he definitely let Montez get smoked a little bit on that. Yeah. <laughs> on the other side, Devin Ross has really disappeared. He led this team with 327 receiving yards uh, through the first, I think it was, five games. And then just the last two games, no receptions at all. Part of that, they're bringing the tight end on the field more as they go heavy to uh, ground it out with, with Philip Lindsay. But uh, that's, that's surprising. It is surprising just because of the position he plays. You'd think in this system he would get more touches. He did have a drop last week, so um, they got to get out the, back to him a little bit. I, I think he'll be fine, though. Um, they'll get him back involved. He's too important to what this team does on third down to not have you know an impact on a few of these games. Philip Lindsay, surprisingly, was not in the top 20 in pro football focuses running back rankings, uh, but he is. He's set to be the first CU back 
to have back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing seasons just needs five more yards for that. It's still in the realm of possibility he could pass Eric Bieniemy, but he'd just have to be going beast mode like he mm-hmm. did the last couple weeks the rest of the season, basically. Yeah, it, I mean, again, this is an efficiency ranking, right? So not ultra-surprising to me that he's not at least in the top 10 because, he's you know, if you get 40 touches a game, the numbers right. are going to look better. Um there are times where he definitely runs right into the back of his line instead of making some jump cuts out. So they're 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 looking at those situations where he should have got ten yards and he got four. Um, Lindsay's had a huge year. It's hard to really measure this accurately, um, but he's you know he's missed some opportunities. So I kind of see where they're coming from. But at the end, shouldn't of the day, that factor into their formula though? If you're carrying the ball forty times, how valuable that is for your team, for your yeah. defense. The fact that if you're carrying it that many times, the defense knows it's coming and you're still getting those yards. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's obviously ways to tweak it. But I mean, you look if you look at the list of guys in front of him. There's some really talented running backs on the list. So again, him being outside of the top ten is probably fair. It wouldn't have surprised me if he was in that next ring. I'd be curious if he was like 22 and we're making this a huge deal, and he's really just sitting right there. He's obviously had a huge year, and I don't really care what Pro Football Focus has to say about it. They get they better keep giving him the rock. So they're heading on the road again this time to Pullman. Going to be a wet. And cold night out there. It's going to be a late night, not until 8.45 Mountain Time does that game kick off. Washington State's leading receiver, Tavares Martin Jr., is suspended for the game. But the Cougars have six other players with at least 20 receptions, three with 30-plus catches. So uh, they just kind of reload. Yeah, they just reload in that system. Um, what, what are your thoughts? We'll talk more about this in our video preview, so definitely check that out. But just some, some brief thoughts you have about CU going into this game. Well, it's nice to play a passing team. The run defense, I'm sure, appreciates it. If we, if they go, if they come out and run the ball on us the whole game and make us look silly, then there's going to be some real problems <laughs> with this, yeah. with how this defense is being called. If Washington State runs all over you and they choose not to pass, you know that teams are licking their chops about playing our run defense. So that would be a huge problem. You know, offensively for Washington State, my concern is they struggle if you can create pressure and force turnovers. We don't do either of those things. That's not great. They were using their backs quite a bit, Wazoo was, last year. They were finally not dead last in the Pac-12 in rushing offense. This year, though, they've reverted back to the old ways, and they've got talented backs. Do you know why their philosophy has changed there? Uh, I think, it, you know, it's just they they like what they're doing with their receivers. They have more depth there. The last year, I think they had two or three guys who played most of their snaps not as not as deep. They can't run guys in and out. Now they're just trying to get your defense tired. They can put in fresh guys at wide receiver, and Luke Falk is a stud. So, I mean, it's that matters. And it might just be a matchup thing for them, too. They feel more confident against the secondaries they're going against. Well, he's talking about pirates or weather. Mike Leach is always entertaining. At yeah. times, though, he comes off as a bully. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mike Leach? Do you, do you enjoy his little sound bites? I mean, I don't really think he's funny other than, like, He's only funny because he's such a train wreck. Like, I don't find him to be a comedic person. He just has a lot of mental issues, which is hilarious when they come off. He's just a, I don't I don't like him as a person. I think he's kind of a turd. Well, I do enjoy his little segment that he did out in Lubbock, the uh, Mike Leach does the weather. You ever seen that? No. <laughs> it's, it's made me want to be somewhere where it rains mud because he talks of, of it in such glowing terms. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. That's... I usually get turned off by some of his humor, but I thought that was pretty funny. 
All right, so a little recruiting here before we get into my interview with Trey Eudofia. Israel Antwine picks Oklahoma State. He was a defensive lineman that visited Boulder not too long ago. Uh, we talked on our last show about some of the other guys they've targeted there. Uh, it seems like CU just continually finishes runner-up for a lot of these defensive tackles. Yeah, which is problematic because you don't get any silver medals in recruiting. So, uh, yeah, they got to find one of these guys to come to Boulder at some point. I mean, it's not really surprising that Antoine picked or Oklahoma State, I don't think. No, no one's too surprised there, but it would have been nice. they got to find somebody that they can put in black and gold. I'm not the biggest fan of the crystal ball, but I've got a perfect rating uh, for both football and basketball. Hey! So I'm all, like, obsessed about it now. Well, if you you got to start picking them three months in advance. Then I'll be impressed. Israel Antoine was about a month and a half ago I picked him to Oklahoma State. There you go. Good enough for me. See you commit Daniel Arias is set to play in the International Bowl in Texas in January. This is one of those high school all-star games that's seemingly gaining in popularity. They play that AT&T Park. Uh, he's had a fantastic season. We got a chance to see him at a camp last summer. It just looks so effortless yeah, how he gets behind defenses. He's a stud. He's going to play for us a lot when he gets here. I honestly think that. Uh, he's faster than people give him credit for. He's real lanky, catches everything. He's going to be a really good football player in college. And Dimitri Stanley at Cherry Creek is having a monster senior season. And those two guys aren't even as highly rated as Dylan Thomas. Uh, so, again, really good receivers coming into Boulder. They just got to get some of the other areas of recruiting to, to match what their receiver recruiting's done. In terms of injuries, there's no word on Javier Edwards yet. He's day-to-day. But Trey Udofia is expected back and I had a chance to talk with the cornerback after a recent practice. How's the, the recovery coming along from the ankle? It sounds like you're going to be back in action this week. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know how much I'll play, but I'm ready. I'm feeling really healthy, 100%, so I'm ready to go. Did you tweak it uh, around midway through the UCLA game? What, what, what happened on the play? Well, it was actually my knee, and okay. uh, early on in the game, I kept banging it up, and I had, like, this bump on it, and I didn't really think much of it, and I fell, and like that. Uh, bump like kind of bursted and I just had a bunch of fluid in my knee so okay. I had to like get all that taken care of is it how are you feeling now feeling good um, I wear like a pad on my knee so like when okay. I fall on it I don't feel it as much but 100% when I'm running so talk about kind of the the confidence that you gained early on this season uh, you, it looked like they were trying to pick on you in the first half of the CSU game and you, you rebounded really well in that game how much confidence have you gained uh, the, the, the season as you continue to gain that experience a whole lot because I think uh, experience is key to having confidence um, so every game I'm getting more and more confident with what I do um, I don't really have to listen well I, I mean I listen to Flo and all them but I used to have to like listen for the calls but I know the calls ahead of time now so I think it really helps with my gameplay. Some freshmen might have wilted in that situation and, and not stepped up to the challenge. What, what is it about you, your makeup that, that allowed you to do that in that CSU, CSU game? Uh, I think it's more um, a personal thing for me. Um, I don't like like losing. Like that's losing I hate. So I knew if I wasn't going to step up to the plate and let them pick on me, we were going to lose, and it was going to affect me and the team overall, and I just didn't want that to happen. Was there a point in game action that you realized you can hang and be a, an efficient player at this level? Was it, was it in that, that second half of the CSU game? Well, yeah, I mean, like, the first play of the game, I was in on the hit, the first tackle, and it felt good. I was like, okay, like, that's how the hits are going to be. Um, and then the second half, uh, especially when I got my first pass breakup, I think that's when I really was like, yeah, I can do this. 
it's like, this is good. And then it just went from there. If you kind of self-evaluate your play so far this season, what would you say are things you've done exceptionally well and still those areas uh, for improvement? Um, I think from high school, coming in from high school, I didn't know any technique. Uh, my technique has gotten way better than when I first got here, but still has a long way to go. So when I watch myself, I really look at my technique like my back pedal's a little high, all that minor stuff, but when you put all the minor stuff together, it makes a big deal, so I still have a lot of minor things to fix. If I remember right, you had an offer from Washington State coming out of high school, right? Yeah, it was between here and Washington State for me. What were your interactions with Mike Leach like? He's always uh, pretty colorful in those, those press conferences. Uh, yeah, he's pretty different, I would say. Uh, like, recruiting-wise, he didn't really talk a whole lot. He just okay. kind of gave you, like, blank stares, and then you would just like, kind of be like, okay. And then, like, all the position coaches would be the ones talking to you but he was nice he wasn't like a mean guy nothing like that he was just really quiet and like strange I would say if you think back to the recruiting process what was it that sold you on CU over going to Washington State uh talking to some players like Cheeto and Coach Mack really sold the rise to me um and Washington State you know they were kind of like threw me an offer and they're like yeah you can play wide receiver or DB here doesn't matter and, I don't know, Coach Mack had a lot more structured plan for me, and I really wanted a structured plan, so I went with here, and I'm glad I chose here over there. Obviously, with that air raid, they like to throw the ball over the, the mm-hmm. fields. Uh, as a defensive back, as a cornerback, how do you how do you approach that challenge? A uh, big challenge. This is a fun week. You know, games are always fun, but when they're running the ball the whole time, it gets kind of boring out on the island. But now that they're throwing, you know, it's, it's your game. The game's going to depend on the secondary, I believe, uh, whether we win or lose, because our offense is going to take care of business. But... Uh, if it's a shootout, it's going to be a tough one. So the secondary's really got to buckle down for this one. Awesome. Thanks, Trey. Thank you. Tyler, based off that interview, I almost got kind of the impression that Trey Udofia has felt like he was healthy, was healthy enough to play at Oregon State. I think my, some of that might have been we got to make sure that he's healthy for, for this game. Right. I agree. Um, yeah, Wiggly hasn't played well enough, I don't think, to take his spot, certainly. So hopefully they get him back out there because I thought he was really impressive early on this season. I would like to see Wiggly more in that Ryan Muller buffbacker role because he's more physical, I think, than Ryan Muller a little bit. Um, Mix those guys in and out, keep them fresh. I think we need to get Wiggly on the field just to try to throw some pop into that run game. It was interesting in that interview, he talks about Mike Leach because it came down to seeing Washington State for his recruitment. He was talking about Mike Leach basically just stared at him during their recruiting meetings, and it was everybody else on the staff that was recruiting him. That was interesting. I guess his quirkiness doesn't bleed over into to the recruiting as much. He just turns and it sounds like a creep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, everybody, it's so funny. People have such a different read on all situations, you know. But I'm happy that Trey Dofa decided to come here because he's going to be a big-time football player at CU. Before we jump into the Buff Stampede Radio mailbag, this is a reminder that this week's Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting, specializing in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at gormanrecruiting.com. Didn't do it again this week. What? The WWW. Oh, yes. Killed it. Welcome to 2017. Buff Stampede Radio mailbag is led off by one ALCD. He asked, why in the hell is it so hard for this team to play well in all three phases of the game? It's probably O'Neal CD, if I had to guess. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think if the coaching staff at CU had an answer to this, we would have seen it by now. Well, I, I think the real answer is the teams that are ranked in the top 10 are the only teams that really do that, right? 
everyone else has flaws. Well, when um, you play uh, UNC, when you play a Texas State, maybe you could have that happen. Right. Yeah, that would be nice, yes. But, I mean, I just think this is a team that doesn't have it all figured out. It's really pretty simple. I think that uh, – we'll see. I, I think we're going to get there at some one game along the way. We're going we're gonna to play well. Well, it's so weird. You even think that you have – okay, at least – Kickoffs, we know are going to be good. Nope, not. And last then week. Davis Price can't can't get it to the end zone. <laughs> I mean, the results weren't that bad, right? But you could tell. I asked Mike McIntyre about that. He seemed visibly frustrated with that situation. He's frustrated with everything. <laughs> CT Buff had this to say: Do you get the sense of where this team is as far as attitude or buy-in? I don't necessarily think effort is the issue, but there's definitely something off this season. Yeah, they're not as good. <laughs> It's simple. I know people bring up the leadership on this team a lot. If they had miserable leadership, I don't think we would be seeing as much effort as we've seen out of this team. To to CT Buff's point, I mean, a little bit you're here. not going to have the leader. Last year's team had 20 guys who started for three years or played a ton of snaps. This team doesn't have that. It's hard. You can't be as good of a leader without the experience. You're asking Steven Montez to be a leader when he's played five games. You know, you're asking Isaiah Oliver to be a leader when he started zero games before this year. Like, it's it's just a different level of experience is required to have enough leadership to really, truly understand what you're doing. So I guess your answer to this question then is experience. Yeah. But what – that doesn't answer everything, though. Why would an offensive line that has as much experience as it does yeah. come down to a talent issue? I mean, it's, it's a combination of things, obviously. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think he obviously. I don't think it was as set as we were told in camp which one of these linemen was going to play. I think, and that causes a lot of issues if you don't know if you're playing or not. It's tough to get into a rhythm. Yeah, they were rotating still last week. Hagler, the right tackle. Um, I thought Isaac Miller had maybe done enough to kind of roll in that role and see him kind of develop there, but maybe they just don't want to quite give up on Aaron Hagler quite yet, which I guess I can understand. Wyndon Buff asked, what would be your midseason grades for the coaches? Do you think he wants us to go coach by coach or just, oh, we got to do this? This is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> Lindgren, people are going to disagree. I'm giving him a B or B minus. Yeah, I would give him a B too. Um, I think Montez has by and large been as good or maybe slightly better than I expected so far this year. Uh Inconsistent, which again we've told everyone what's going to happen. Everyone seems to hate that. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> we told you this going in. Um, I think the play calling has gotten better. It was definitely frustrating to start the year, but if your old line doesn't give you any time, it's hard to get creative. Darian Hagen, he gets the Philip Lindsay bump here. <laughs> I mean, you can't give him anything lower than B. I would just give him no grade. Phil does his own thing. I don't think you need to coach up Phil. He knows what's going on out there. I know you don't like him, but Bisharet has made some strides. I mean, he's been better. He hasn't been good. I I would have liked to have seen Kyle Evans and Michael Atkins do a little bit more. Yeah. How many carries has Michael Atkins had since that fumble? One or two? Yeah, like two maybe. Do you think think the smile coming off the field had anything to do with it? I don't know. Or was it more just the, the fumble? Couldn't tell you, but I mean, they certainly like to give up on him in a hurry. <laughs> uh, Darren Chevarini? Uh, man, that's tough because the wide receivers have definitely not lived up to expectations. I guess I would say C minus. Uh, Clayton Adams? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, D. Okay. Jim Jeffcoat? You're just going to make me... Yeah, it's <laughs> goes through all this, aren't you? I've got to be around the team, man. This D plus. Okay. Uh, Russ Ellis. There uh, is a special teams component here as well. Yeah, I would give him probably pretty solid B plus. I mean, the outside guys have struggled, but special teams has been really good, and I like the inside guys too, so... DJ Elliott? F. Whatever less than F is. Now there I would say, come on, you... <laughs> They did rank number 22 in scoring defense through the first five weeks. Yeah, because they played a bunch of teams that aren't any good. All right. Um, <laughs> Shadon Brown. Hi. Love Shadon Brown. He's probably my favorite coach on the team. A-. minus. I think he has a bright future here. I think the secondary has definitely exceeded expectations for the most part. They haven't gotten really a chance to prove themselves much. But all the impact defensive turnovers have come from the secondary. Um Isaiah Oliver is your best secondary player. Trey Duffy's been hurt. They still haven't been brutal in that situation, I don't think. Uh, we got a lot of young guys back there, and uh, it's, they're playing pretty well. And I guess the head man, Mike McIntyre? C-. minus. I mean, it's they've, they haven't lived up to expectations that, to some degree this year. You know, they're supposed to make a bowl game relatively comfortably. That's in dire straits right now. I would say they haven't looked great. All right. And you're welcome for that. Appreciate that. You're the worst. <laughs> Buff Inn had this to say. We all know CU lost talent off last year's team, but Mike McIntyre made the comment last year that the team arrived early and he was expecting a breakthrough this year. Where do you guys think the disconnect is slash was? His over-optimism of talent. Was it coaching changes, both talent? Um, so basically, why did Mike McIntyre think that this was going to be the breakout year instead of last year well a lot of, I think a, a lot of it has to do with that team was so good last year all of those seniors played all the snaps so you don't have as much development out of this year's remaining crowd as you would have last year had they not been as good so that has part of the reason to do with it as well um, a lot of the younger guys didn't play they're redshirting you think you have those guys moving forward I think more along the lines, he was just talking about the pipeline was going to be ready for the future by this year. And I still think that's true to some degree. Um, obviously, last year's group really stepped up and produced a lot of NFL talent. As seniors, that doesn't happen much. But, I mean, if you if you have such a huge year with a bunch of seniors, it does obviously stunt the development of the younger guys to some degree. Where the disconnect is, in my opinion, was he thought these both lines were going to be better than they are. Right. And yeah. that's a big issue in football when neither line is as good as you th- thought they were going to be. Yeah, I mean, I think most people thought this offensive line would be one of the best in the Pac-12 and certainly the best at CU in quite some time. If that was true, the offense would be pretty damn good. Yeah. So I think it – and then, I mean, the coaching changes, you can't expect to lose three defensive coaches in the same offseason, right? And you probably – let's be honest, we even had this discussion mid – season last year, that Jim Levitt was probably going to leave. It was probably going to be hard for McIntyre and him to coexist long-term. But to have – and no one wants to bring this up. It's like the crazy relative that nobody wants to talk about. Losing Joe Tumpkin was a big hit. Mm -hmm. Shadon Brown's done a great job with the secondary, but Joe Tumpkin, from a halftime adjustment standpoint, just being another guy that had been a defensive coordinator – Levitt was oftentimes a rah-rah guy, and yes, he did a lot of game planning, and he was, as we've said many times, a mad scientist in certain ways, but Tumpkin was was a very good football coach on this staff, despite mm-hmm. what was going on outside of office hours. Absolutely, and Clark was as well. I mean, I think Clark was important to what we did as well. So uh, we have guys that I think are replacing them to some degree, especially Shadon Brown, but you can't lose that many guys and have everything 
work like nothing happened. There's some adjustments. There is a curiosity factor of what would this defense look like if Jim Levitt was still here? How much better or would it not be better than it is right now? And it's hard to, uh, hard to predict or even guess that. And we've obviously lost some big names on the defense as well. I mean, it would be nice to have NJ follow here. It would be nice to have Frank Umu available. It would be nice to have Javier Edwards available and Trey Udofi healthy all year and Anthony Jewel Meese. And, you know, like you have, you're fully healthy. This defense has a lot more parts. I think we uh, have answered that enough here. Let's move on to Andrew S. Buff 1. He asked, based on our success running the ball these past two weeks and Mike McIntyre's short comment on 10-16 about going with the guys who are making an impact, sorry, Shea and Devin, do you think we'll migrate to a run-first offense? I mean, they basically have the last two weeks. Yeah, you go to what works, which is like people haven't given the coordinators enough credit for making that adjustment, I don't think. We've been calling for it, and it's frustrating that we didn't have it. But until someone stops Phil Lindsay, we need to give him the ball, or at least somebody behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I, I would like to see them get some of these other wide receivers involved uh, as well, and Shea Fields has definitely got to step it up. I, I'm not as concerned about Devin Ross as I am about Shea because Shea's body language is disastrous right now, and that matters on the football field too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, why would you not be running the ball right now? The biggest frustration with this offense is that Lindsey's having so, so much success on the ground that it is opening up things deep, and yet they can't convert on, on those opportunities. That's what's missing between this being a, I don't know, middle-of-the-road Pac-12 offense versus being a, a top-end, top half of the, the conference type of offense. Right, you hit 250 yarders in a game, you have two more touchdowns and 100 more yards offense. All of a sudden yeah. those numbers look pretty good in a hurry. Golf pro asked, uh, I'm sorry, golf pro buff asked, do you see us moving to more down linemen on defense moving forward? Partially, I think that would be based on the opponents you're, you're playing and what their, their O-line situation is. Yeah, obviously that's true. Uh, I do think they need to do that. They need to get some bigger bodies on the field, whether that's four down linemen or you just put someone bigger out there in the back, buff backer spot. But you got to get some beef. I mean, obviously Lyle Tulum was back last week. We needed that. Um, Javier Edwards coming back would be nice as well. CS Buff asked, assuming this season plays out as expected and CU at best finishes 6-6, six and six, do you see any coaching changes being made during the offseason? So, well, his question is if they finish 6-6 six and six or worse. I mean, there's a big difference there. If they finish 6-6 six and six and they go to a bowl game for the second year in a row, Versus if they win four or five and they don't go to a bowl game, that's a big difference there. It is a huge difference. Um, I think the answer is the same, though. If they go six and six, there'll be some changes. I, I, I could see maybe just being one, two. I don't. Th- right. I mean, you're not. You don't want to go through a ton of turnover on the coaching staff. I mean, I think there are a few guys who will be replaced if we go six and six, um, and some might just move on and do other things. I mean whether they're being replaced or whether they get promoted. So it almost seems like there's always somebody that goes elsewhere. If they go 6-6, six and six, I would be shocked if more than one coach is, quote, fired. I can see one on each side. I would and be surprised great. if it's more than one on the whole staff, but we'll see. It's good we disagree on something. We agree too much. Maximus Buff had this to say. The responses so far to the season range all the way from fire Mac- Mike McIntyre to it's just a hiccup and everything is still on track. 
Do you think one or the other is more accurate or is the truth somewhere in the middle? Assuming you think something is wrong with this season, what do you think it is? If you don't think anything is wrong, why not? Thanks. So, yeah, we've covered pretty much all of this. Is there anything else you want to add based off? Uh, I mean, I would just say, I say this every podcast. Football is a game of simple inches and key mistakes. Colorado's lost two conference games by three and four points. You find a way to win one of those games, people are feeling a lot better about where we're sitting this season right now. It doesn't take much to make adjustments and win a game. I think last year we a lot of the breaks went our way. We won a lot more games than people expected this year so far. That hasn't happened as much for sure. Um, Now talent obviously helps make those breaks happen. Taking a slight step back, I don't think it says much about the future of this program, though, honestly. They got the break at Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, they won. But, I mean, again, they did things that they've been successful at all week. So, I mean, you know, they could have easily lost, and, yeah, the season would be in real disarray. Yeah. The funny thing, though, is, too, is is he brings up the extremes, the fire Mike McIntyre or the everything is still on track. I don't think most CU fans feel that way. But what there is is there's a few people on both sides of that that are kind of creating a lot of that that discussion. Right. I would say I, I would think that eighty percent of CU fans fall somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most correct answer is it's been more disappointing than we thought this year. I think this program is still in fairly good shape moving forward. Buff in Vegas had a couple questions. First off. I like this one. Which redshirt freshman are you most looking forward to seeing next year? Would your answer change if you were looking to their redshirt senior year instead of next year? Secondly, given that the Pac-12 really only has one true dual-threat quarterback-oriented offense, do you think it is that? Do you think it is that much harder on opposing defenses since they are not practicing against it and only facing it once a year? Let's do the dual threat quarterback question first here although Arizona's the only the only offense that relies on the quarterback running that much most programs in the Pac-12 what would you say probably about 9-10 have quarterbacks running with certain plays so you definitely are practicing that yeah Oregon obviously does that Washington does that Arizona State certainly does that Utah certainly does that Oregon State Uh, USC I mean Sam Darnold definitely runs around as well um, he, they're more pro style, but he definitely can't hurt you on the ground. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys who can beat you multiple. Ross times. Bowers, uh, yeah, somersaulting over people. Yeah. <laughs> or what, what would you call that move that he's <laughs> luck? <laughs> yeah, like, luck. <laughs> he survived, so luck. His mother was a gymnast, though. Oh, nice. So there's some genes there. All right, fine, fair enough. Ross Bowers, my bad. <laughs> uh, his first question: Which redshirt freshman are you most looking forward to seeing next year? It's for me. It's got to be Alex Fontenot because this offense is Philip Lindsay right now, and that's a pretty big uh, void that he's going to be leaving. I, I've already said this. I think on the podcast, and I've definitely said it, said it on Twitter. I think Alex Fontenot is starting next year, so we'll see what happens there. That's my bold prediction for 2018. I loved him in camp. First back, our first cut back, great vision, uh, unbelievable first step quickness. I think he's going to be a really good player. Terrence Lang defensively. Yeah, of course. I mean, if they can get him back to as big as they need him to be, because if he's 290, he's probably playing next year as well. Uh, they need somebody on the D-line for death purposes pretty bad. And I'm 
Dante Sparacco is not redshirting, obviously, um, but he they need to put weight on him and put him at D-line. It's really simple. I can't believe this is still being debated. And he had kind of asked, would your answer change if you're looking forward to their redshirt senior year? Um, I'd like to see Jonathan Van Deese as a redshirt senior. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. He has a chance to be a really special player for us. Man. Or even those offensive linemen, Will Sherman, Grant right, Pauley, yeah. Jake Moretti. I mean, Tyler Lytle could be. We'll see how that plays out. Um, man, there's got to be somebody else out there that we really have some interest in. Yeah. Speaking of red shirts, or, or I guess guys that I guess guys that aren't red shirting, does it bug you that Jared Poplowski is burning his red shirt this year? He's I mean, playing a little on special teams. A lot of these guys at this point are starting to get pretty frustrating. I mean, KD's not touching the ball. LaVisca's not really touching the ball. Dante Sparacco's on the bench. I mean, I know they're using Nate him Lamin. on special teams, but... Yeah, Nate Lamont's only know, played if, 11 If they're wasting years of eligibility, yeah. it'd be nice to get him on the field a little bit. I think maybe they miscalculated a little bit how much they were going to use those guys, and if they could go back, they would probably change it with a couple of those guys. Mm-hmm. Because even Akil Jones hasn't really played. He could have probably backed up both inside backer position. But it's tough going into the season. You think you're probably going to have an injury there at some point, which they haven't had. Right, yeah. It's yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, someone gets hurt in week seven and they haven't even stepped on a football field or worn a helmet in like seven weeks. And it's like, All right, you're playing 80 snaps today. That <laughs> reminds me of uh, Grant Watanabe trying to defend right. his own read option against mm, Arizona. Yeah, good times. Great game. Dorno9 asked, have you heard anything as to why Dante Sparacco has not been seeing time on defense? Depth has been an issue over the last three weeks, and it's a mystery to me why he is not out there considering the impact he had early in the season. I thought one of the reasons that Sparacco probably should have redshirted is just they actually have experienced depth there. Uh, a guy like Taron Hasselback isn't going to wow you, but he's been in the system longer. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna not gonna redshirt, he needs to be playing. Like this is your preaching to the choir here. I think he should be playing more than any other of the linebackers that are playing as young guys right now. Uh, they need to get bigger, and there's one way to do that, and it's put Dante Sparacco on the field. So I hope he plays more. Darth Snow asked, "What's up with Shea Fields and Devin Ross? Agree that the fan that the base offense is now two tight end diamond package." Uh, their base is pretty, still pretty multiple. Um, what's up with Shea Fields and Devin Ross? I think it's mental at this point. Yeah, I mean, Shea doesn't look as fast. He looks like he's he tried to get big this offseason and didn't do it in the right ways. He doesn't look quite as fast or explosive as he was in years past. Um, but, I mean, he's been open a few times and Montez has missed him, so it's multiple things. But he's definitely frustrated at this point and he's letting it get into his play, and that's making things all the more worse for him. Devin Ross, again, like I said, I'm not overly concerned with right now. I mean, I haven't seen his effort level come down. He's been on the field blocking, and they're just running the ball more, so he's obviously going to see less touches. Has Sheffield's dropped more passes this season than he did his first three? It seems that, that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's missed a lot of wide-open ones, and he's letting the frustration of not hitting the big hitters get to him on the other plays, which makes him hard to rely on. Taser94 asked, Adam, how can defensive line recruiting be improved? Are JUCOs the answer on the defensive line, or can the Buffs start recruiting some Polynesian high school kids? JUCO 
as we talked about, is not the long-term answer on the D-line, but they might, again, have to go to that well. I think you got to get at least one Juco D-lineman every year. I'll say that for sure. I mean, you have there has to be a mix uh, of all these things. Um, obviously, last year's defensive line had a bunch of Juco guys on it. That worked out pretty well. Jordan Carroll was a pretty big part of what we did last year. Leo Jackson as well. So, I mean, they obviously can help you, um, but you can't have – a majority of your linemen be fresh off Juco ranks D-line guys. So you gotta, you got to find a balance there. And you have to develop some young talent as well. Because if you miss on the Juco guys, then you have nothing. Yeah, I mean, how can it be improved is getting more Terrence Langs. And how do you do that? You've got to have dynamic recruiters that can stop be, coming up as the runner-up for a lot of these D-line recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just haven't seen that happen. Polynesian high school kids, it's tough in Colorado Utah has, has that pipeline, and it works so well for them. But so many of those families have history with Utah or BYU. It's tough to pluck those kids. Yeah. Jim Levitt tried it, and Pukimaka is really the only guy that he could get out of that state. And the Pacific Northwest as well, Northern California. A lot of those kids have a lot of options. None of them are as far away as Colorado. It makes it tough. And D-line recruits sometimes have academic issues. It, we've said it before. It's definitely the toughest position, but – for if you look at this program and say what, what's the biggest issue to me, it is that that prep pipeline with defense alignment that they've been missing. I mean, they have gotten a few Polynesian kids that Jalen Sammy from last year, and they have Taba Fina in this class. So it does seem like they're trying to make an effort to get some of those bigger bodies. Elrod said so about the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself out of college, out of the college football playoff. Dot dot dot. Did we say that wasn't going to happen? Uh, we Somebody asked about that last week, and we had a discussion about I it. I just don't remember what we said. I was curious if we said that we thought that it wouldn't work out. But, yes, it certainly seems to have. Well, that transitions that us to your updated Pac-12 power rankings, Tyler. Yeah, so I'm sure a bit of a shakeup from last week here, although not at the top. Oregon State, uh, thanks for taking the L. Didn't really want to put Colorado last on this list. That wouldn't have been a whole lot of fun. I will say, I think Corey Hall gets that team to win one game the rest of the way. Well, I hope it's against somebody in the Pac-12 South. That would be great for us. Um, Colorado's 11th. Hard to really say they deserve to be too much higher at this point. One conference win, one and three. Uh, Their only win is at Oregon State. It was a tight game. Certainly could have lost. Got dominated a little bit. Um, in the middle of the field, certainly. So uh, we got some work to do for sure. Um, Oregon, 10. I remember somebody in the Denver media had Oregon making the playoffs this year. I laughed at that pretty hard on Twitter at the time. So laughing hard at it now. Um, they have a lot of injury issues, which doesn't help. Uh, you know, they're defensively, they haven't been very good. So a lot of the, all this Jim Levitt talk, they haven't exactly lit the world on fire. No surprise, obviously, they were bad last year, but. Not a whole lot of changes to them right now. They still have a pretty tough stretch. So they could be in some trouble um, as the as the end of the season winds down here. Uh, I have UCLA next. It, all these are pretty bunched together for me. Um, they've been fine. But, uh, you know, with Josh Rosen as quarterback, you should probably be better than you are overall. I think they're a team that's probably going to finish outside of the top two in the South, which... Is disappointing given that quarterback situation. Um, Arizona State is now eighth for me. Has a huge win last week. 
to give up seven points to Washington after giving up 30-plus in 11 games in a row is probably an aberration, but still deserves to be commended. I still don't trust Manny Wilkins, though. I don't have a lot of hope for them long-term, I don't think, in the South, but that was a huge win and could have maybe saved Todd Graham's job. So big for them. I have Cal next. Uh, Huge win. Crazy win. 37-3 at Washington State. They've had a couple huge wins this year. I had the under three and a half on them this season win total. Week seven, already took the L on that. So that's probably the earliest futures loss I've ever had. So congrats to Cal for making me look really stupid. The metrics don't really like them very much, though. They're underdogs at home against Arizona this week. Kind of says a lot about what people think about their long-term prospects of making noise in the conference. Um, I have Arizona next. Uh, Another... I honestly think they could win the South, though. So we'll see if they continue to improve. Khalil Tate, obviously, is an absolute stud, and Utah is fortunate to not have played them before they decided to start Khalil Tate, I would say. How much solace Uh, did you take in the fact that he backed up that performance? It was nice to see, for sure. I mean, we gave up 100 more yards than UCLA, so it doesn't exactly make me feel great. But it was nice that he didn't struggle. I mean, he he looked like a stud. And uh, I was questioning that line to begin with, how you could have UCLA favored on the road in a game where they're the second-worst rush defense in the country against Khalil Tate, and they obviously smoked him. So uh, that was important. Uh, well, they have a couple of important games coming up in at USC down the pipeline here in a few weeks. So we'll see how... Uh, how for real they are. Utah, I have at five, kind of speaks to the weakness of this league, I think. Um, lost to two teams that are probably, they had chances to win at Stanford and USC, but this is kind of just what Utah does, right? Like, it seems like they're always so close every year, but can't find a way to win the game when it matters um, against the better teams. They're one and two in league right now. Haven't impressed, honestly, against anyone that's good so far this year. So... I kind of see them as more middle of the tier. Uh, Washington State dropped down to four for me this week. I mean, seven turnovers, you're never going to win. That's pretty surprising from a team that has by far the most experience in the Pac-12 this year. I mean, (laughs) it's almost amazing. 37-3 to with seven turnovers. They gave up zero turnovers. Could have been like 80-3 to (laughs) with that type of result. Uh, Stanford right back in the game. Uh, after a tough start to the season, they kind of have to sit in the driver's seat of the North right now, which is kind of interesting. They have both of those teams left to go, and I think uh, both of them are at home too. So, where's I haven't seen the Heisman uh, like updated projections. There is Bryce Love. Where where does he fit he into that? Better be in the top two or three. Will Greer, Mason Rudolph, Saquon Barkley. I think those are the kind of the four guys that everybody's really looking at right now. He is. Unbelievable. He's averaging 10 yards a carry. That's nice. Yeah, just give it to him every time you score in eight plays. Wouldn't be too bad, right? Um, Washington. Yikes, bro. Way too much talent on that team to be dropping a seven ball on a terrible defense like Arizona State. They always suck in the desert, though, so it's almost predictable that they would struggle. So does does Colorado. Yeah, I know. So having the struggle um, come to a loss, though, not great. I mean, they're... uh, they're going to need to get really hot to make it back into the playoff picture at this point. Um, and you could say, I think the same could be said for USC. They play Notre Dame in what is essentially a playoff elimination game this week. They're my number one this week in the Pac-12. But if they lose that game, they're done too. So that would be pretty much the end of the Pac-12, in my opinion. 
Has there ever been a weaker number one on your power rankings no, ever? No, definitely not. I mean, no one really deserves it. Yeah, I think that the conference is a little deeper than maybe we thought this year, but, man, there is just not a great team right now. I was up at Basketball Media Day on Wednesday morning. Tad Boyle said a lot of things you'd expect, you know, about how we can't look at this as a rebuilding year, even though we've got a lot of young faces. They're talented guys. Uh, so he's they even talking NCAA tournament, which I know no one outside the program is going to. Uh, again, mentioned McKinley Wright being head and shoulders above the other freshmen. A lot of the things we've been hearing for a while. Um, I think he genuinely likes coaching this basketball team, though. Yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen from their personality so far, there's a reason that he does. Seems like a really fun group of guys. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, multiple, more so than in years past with this offense. I don't know if it'll really show its face this year, but I think in two or three years this team could actually be pretty fun on offense, which you don't see much from Tad Boyle teams. Yeah. And it's not deep in the sense that you're going 10 deep with, you know, top tier Pac-12 players, at least at this stage because of the youth factor. But if guys start slacking off and they're not giving good effort, you've got enough talent at the end of that roster that you can bench guys in a hurry with this basketball team. Yeah. I mean, most of the time you play seven or eight guys, a ton of minutes at least in college, so it usually plays itself out pretty early. Once you get guys in games, you know who's helping you and who isn't. Uh, they're going to retro a couple guys, it sounds like. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on who you think it'll be. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to shorten the rotation down a little bit. Well, Lazar Nikolic has got to redshirt. And if he was a bomb, maybe you don't redshirt him because you don't worry about preserving his redshirt. But I mentioned he's got a good skill set. He's just... He just got here not too long ago. Didn't get to do the Italy trip with the team, so that makes sense. The other one that is debatable is Deshaun Schwartz. Um, The problem is he is one of their best shooters right now. But you look at what Deshaun Schwartz could be as a fifth-year senior, and it could be a a guy averaging between 15 and 20 points a game versus this year – it's he's going to be just at the end of your rotation. Right. I think it's that would be who I would point to as well, simply because the only position where you have reliable experience is wing. You have Neymar Wright, you have George King. Those guys are going to take up a majority of your minutes. Do you really need to play Deshaun Schwartz this year in a year where even if things go really well, you're probably in an ITT? So it's pretty clear at this point McKinley Wright is this team's starting point guard. Right. George King is starting on the wing. Naaman Wright as well. Probably Tory Miller. Tad Boyle talked about him kind of fitting into his role, being a good rebounder during camp. The question is, do you go small and you put Dom Collier in the starting lineup? Or do you go big and you put Lucas Seawards, who's had a good preseason, in the starting lineup? Would right. you have a preference there? Is it based on matchups yeah, on the other team? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it just depends on who you're playing. Um, you know, you can't get yourself into a hole. You don't want to start the same five every week just because – of egos, right? You got to play to your the, uh, weaknesses of your opponent. So there are going to be nights where I think it makes more sense for Seward to get the nod. There are going to be nights where it makes more sense for Dom Collier to get the nod. Uh, and I think both of those guys, if they're if Tad Ball is honest with them going into the year, they'll relish that role because yeah. then you're putting them in a position where okay, I need to use you to start this week because I need your skill set. And so whenever they're starting, it's going to be one of those, okay, they need me to step up tonight. Yeah. And then, obviously, so whoever doesn't start between Seward and Collier will be one of the first off the bench. Right. 
And then Tyler Bay will be one of the first guys off the bench. Now, I will say a big concern with him is just mental focus of knowing what defense they're in, what they're running offensively, transitioning from both ends of the court. That's going to be the challenge for him. And there's going to be times where he's going to be lost out there and it's going to drive fans crazy. But his skill set is so good from a defense and rebounding standpoint that you can't keep him off the court this year. Yeah, he'll swim a little bit, but he's going to make some plays that really get you excited, I think. Um, I think Deleon Brown will play a good amount for this team as well just because he fits into the kind of that glue mold of what they need. And if Don Collier's having an off night, Deleon can play a similar type role there. Um, also, you know, being a lefty, you can always use that skill set to kind of throw some teams off a little bit as well. So I think he'll play a ton. Maybe a ton is a stretch, but enough minutes. And then it'll be curious to see if Evan Batty and uh, Dallas Walton, Dallas thank you, yeah. get, get some uh, minutes from the bigs too. One thing that Tad Boyle is doing this year that he's never done before, because uh, he pretty much gave guys the green light even when they didn't, didn't deserve the green light, you know, from a shooting standpoint. This year, after every practice, they have these shooting drills. And I actually need to ask him or somebody in the program about this to find out what the criteria is. But they have to make a certain percentage enough times in these sessions to get the green light to shoot in games. Um, and uh, you go over here, a few guys talking about how they didn't get the green light that day. And they're, you know, it's, it's brought this competitiveness of them. Um, I thought that think that's interesting because Tad has almost been too lenient on his guys at times. And it seems like at least from a shooting standpoint, he's trying to, who are we talking about here, Adam? Uh, well, so basically, so basically what you're saying is I don't have to watch Tory Miller shoot <laughs> top of the key jumpers this season. Is that what you're telling me? Cause there's be been great. other guys in the program. I mean, a Skia Booker kind of has his run of whatever you want yeah, to do. Yeah, but he's actually year. made one. That's true. See, Torrey Miller's out here shooting 20-footers, and he doesn't even hit the rim. Torrey Miller's made a three-pointer. Was it off the glass? I think so, yeah. Sounds about right. No, that's the thing about Torrey is, is <laughs> even in the post, man, unless it's a dunk, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what's so frustrating about him to me is that when he does – what he's good at and plays his role, he's a lot of fun to watch. Wouldn't he be one of the just, most endearing players had he if he just, just play stuck your to role. that? Yeah. Just play your role, man. Like, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> just get the rebounds. Dunk on somebody. Block some shots. Be an enforcer. I think Dallas Walton is somebody, before his career is over, is going to exceed everybody's expectations. Yeah, I said that pretty much from the first moment I watched him. I was like, this kid actually has a chance to be a decent basketball player at Colorado. And I really do feel that way. He's got good length. He's a lot more stocky than people give him credit for, um, despite the injuries. I think he can hold his own in the post a little bit, kind of like the way Lucas Seward surprised me last year in that role a little bit. He's obviously not a good defender, but physically can hold his own in the box a little. Uh, so, yeah, I'd be interested to watch him moving forward. I'd like to see him develop a little bit over time. Yeah, we're getting closer to that season opener. I think it's November 10th against UNC in Boulder. They do have an exhibition against Colorado School of Mines, I want to say. I got the schedule right here. Um, yeah. yeah, School of Mines on the 30th, actually, of, of October. Damn, that's coming up at us, man. It is. Yeah, so they play crazy. UNC in Boulder on the 10th. They play DU in Boulder on the 14th. That should be a fun night. And then the Paradise Jam, of course, uh, was going to be played at St. George, but they are now playing at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. That's the worst name for a city, Lynchburg. Yeah, not great. Although it is Virginia, so is it surprising? Um, that's kind of frustrating a little bit. 
that Northern Colorado's during the pep rally for CU USC on Pearl Street. Yeah. It's a bummer. My family's going to be in town for that, so now I guess we got to make a choice. Which one do we go to? Yeah. Any of the non-conference games that you're looking forward to the most? Uh, well, that Iowa game is going to be pretty interesting for sure. That's in South Dakota. They did that for who, – who did they play? North Dakota? Iowa State. Right? Iowa State, yeah. Um, that was kind of interesting. Uh, New Mexico, I'm not really necessarily as excited for them coming here, but I definitely want to go back to their game when they go – uh, to the pit. That was a really fun arena, one of the best experiences of my life. So that was fun. Yeah. That's probably enough basketball talk, talk for today. We'll try to uh, throw a little bit of that into each show, though, because I know fans are getting excited for that. It just It's almost like a refreshing type of thing with the football season, having its ups and downs to talk about more of a promising, not for this year, but maybe you know for the future down the, down the road. I did a piece on Tyler Bay that is up right now on buffstampede.com. I also talked to Naaman Wright and Lucas Seward at CU's Media Day event. So check out that in the coming days. And before we sign off, let me once again tell you about Gorman Recruiting, specializing in the unique needs of small and medium-sized businesses. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at gormanrecruiting.com. Tyler, 8.45, you getting a nap in on Saturday? I'll probably be working, so the opposite of a nap. Hopefully I'm off by game time. We'll find out tonight. All right, we'll check in uh, to buffstampede.com on Friday. Or I guess Saturday morning is probably when I'll get it loaded, but for our video preview of the Washington State game. Thanks for tuning in.